So we're going to be getting into uh, the book of Colossians. So if you have your uh, bulletin, the, the text is printed there for us. It's Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If you have a physical Bible, you can open it there. And, you know, as I was thinking um, what to preach on this morning, I just so quickly will forget um, who I am in Jesus week and week and week and week as they pass by. So I thought as, as, the, as the year closes, why don't we look to a text that speaks specifically to who we are in Christ and how we're to walk with him. So we're going to be looking in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 really at that topic. You know, Colossians is written by the book of, um, I'm sorry, the book of uh, Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul and it's written to express the supremacy and all sufficiency of Jesus. So in the time of the writing, he was combating false teachers that were coming in and saying, Jesus is not enough. You have to do these other things as well. But we see in the book over and over again that, he, that Paul is trying to reassure the people about the truths of Jesus and who they are in Christ. So we're going to be looking at that uh, very thing this morning in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So let's go ahead and open God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we know each day that we need you to remind us of who we are in you. We can uh, quickly move into uh, either self-sufficiency or shame over who we are. And Father, we need you this morning uh, to combat that uh, on our behalf, that we can be reminded of the truths of who we are in your Son, that he paid the penalty for our sin and raised and beat sin and death once and for all, and we are one in him. So God, be with us. This morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, you know, I finished seminary in May of 2020, and we moved here uh, in July of 2020, and at that time, as kind of like a moving gift, I bought a uh, little uh, Frozen Elsa and Anna bikes for my children. At the time, they were six and four. I had them shipped to my parents' house, and my stepdad's very handy. He built them for us. And so they were there ready, and, you know, they, they were moving in that age from, like, little tricycles to, like, actual bikes, right? So they got their first actual bike when we moved here. And over the course of the last year and a half or so, I've been working with them. You know, we go outside, and the, our, our road is pretty flat, so they can um, ride the bike right in front of our house. And in the last six months or so, my oldest, Emma, she's like, I think I'm ready to take my training wheels off. And I said, okay. You know, I was a little nervous because, you know, you know, it's just what a dad does, right? I'm just, just nervous about the whole thing. So I took her training wheels off, and you know, if, you, if you've taught a child to ride a bike, you know what it's like, right? Like I'm holding on to her the whole time as she's pedaling while, while she goes, and then even if she's like, all right, we're going too fast, so I stop her, right? And then after a while, I held on to, to her for the back, and I would give her a push and say, all right, Emma, you're ready. And I would, I would let go, but my hands were still here, Right? And one thing I kept telling her is that when I let go, you've got to make sure you're looking forward, Emma, because she would get distracted. So like Haven, would be, my other daughter, would be over there, and she would look around and stuff. And I said, you've got to look forward. You've got to look forward. So uh, she, she's gotten better over the time, but recently we were uh, going to the park, and there's a park a few blocks from our house. So we're, dry, we're riding down uh, the road, and it's a, a busier road that gets into our neighborhood, and we're on the sidewalk, okay? So I'm standing next to her. 
And at this point, I don't really have to hold on to her too much now. So she's riding her bike down uh, the, the sidewalk right next to a rock wall, okay? So think about it. It's pretty tight, so I'm already kind of nervous about this whole thing. But I'm like, Emma, you've got you to stay looking forward. You've got to stay looking forward because if you don't, you really got to pay attention because this is a tight space. Sure enough, I started talking to her, and she looked up at me, and guess what happened? She drifted right into the rock wall, and boom, crashed into the ground. And, you know, it's my own heart just, like, crumbled. But when I think about this, isn't this like us each day? Like that we're supposed to look forward to Jesus, who we are in him, and we get distracted left and right by whatever comes our way. That our minds, we actually get to the point where we'll, we'll focus solely on the things outside of Jesus. We're only looking left and right and never looking forward to him. So the, the theme of what we're looking at today is that when you come to Christ, your life is now centered upon him. When you come to Christ, your life is now centered upon him. So we're going we're gonna to look first at your oneness with Christ, how you are one with him. And then we're going to go on to see how you walk with Christ. So first, one with Christ. I think it's important in the Christian life, this is the only religion that it works this way, that you have to remember the truth about who you are first. That always precedes any call to action. You have to remember who you are. In other words, the truth, it fuels action. Okay, in seminary, they hit this, they over the, it's like a hammer over the head, over and over. Like, you're not going to make legalists out of your congregation, is what they're saying, over and over and over again. They would say this, the indicative fuels the imperative. In other words, the truth fuels the call to action. So this is where we're going this morning. I think this is what the text tells us. It talks about who we are in Christ over and over and over again in different, several different ways. So the passage lays out this. It lays out how, who we are in Jesus in three different aspects. First, past, present, and future. So we're going to look at those in turn. Past, first. Let's look, at, look with me if you have the text there open with you. Let's look first at verse 1. It says this. If then you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3. For you have died. So in this passage, Paul is grounding in the, the, the imperatives that he gives, the commands to do certain things in who they are in Jesus. He's appealing to the theology of the work of Christ ap- applied to the believer. So first he says, you have died. We know that we have not physically died, right? No, it's, it's a spiritual sense. In Colossians 2.20, earlier in the book, he says he's speaking of dying of the el- to the elements of, elemental spirits of the world. In other words, you have died to the power that once held you captive. Sin and death no longer hold you captive. The penalty of death has already been paid in the past. One theologian says this, co-crucifixion in Pauline theology is nothing less than participation in the crucifixion of Jesus and all that is accomplished, namely forgiveness of sins and the defeat of death, the flesh, and the powers. And I love this idea of co-crucifixion. I've never heard that term until I read this. The idea that it was you on the cross with him. That's how you're one with him. He paid it for you, and you are one. It's all done. If you have died with Christ, then also the text tells us that you were raised with Christ. Look with me at verse 1. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Your union with Christ means you not only died, 
but you also raised with him. You are one with Christ in your life, death, and resurrection. You have been raised, beating sin and death forever. And I want you to pause a moment here. Many of us in the room hear this truth all the time. We come to church every week, we read our Bibles, and we believe this to be true about Jesus. We know he lived a sinless life. We know that he died for our sins, and we know that he was raised on the third day. You apply that to Jesus. Yes, it happened to him. But do you apply it to yourself? Because that's what the text is telling us, that you are one with him. Those things that he did, he applies to you. So the work of Jesus, don't only think about it as him. He applies it to you through faith. So through uh, your faith in Jesus, you have beaten death. By his work, you were raised with Christ. So that's the past. You, were, you have died and were raised with Christ presently. Look with me at verse 3, the second half of verse 3. It says this, Your life is hidden with Christ in God. In the present now, you are hidden with Christ. You are hidden in his life, in his death, in his, in his resurrection. And I think we need to talk about this idea of being hidden. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says you are hidden in Christ. And this hidden motif was very fundamental to the Jewish worldview at the time. One theologian says this, according to this a worldview or perspective, many things relating to God and his purposes exist in the present. But because they are in heaven, they are now hidden from human sight. In other words, the things of God are true now. Today, in your life, they are true. You are one with him in his death, in his resurrection. But it is hidden because it is a heavenly reality. We have not physically been transported to heaven. That's not what has happened to us. When you believe in Jesus, you don't just leave. But the reality is still true. It is hidden in Christ. And the beautiful thing is that it won't always be hidden. This is what it leads us to the future. One day, the reality of your oneness in Christ will come to fruition. Okay, so let's look at the future in verse 4. Look at, look at the text with me here. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we just looked at how our life is hidden in Christ. It is unseen. So this, in, in verse 4, this verb appears is actually the counterpart to hidden. It is hidden now, but when Christ appears in the future, it will not be hidden any longer. In verse 3, he says, your life is hidden. Your life. In verse 4, he explains further what this means. What is your life? What does the text tell us is your life? It's Christ. He is your entire life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he is central to who you are. He is hidden now. But one day he will not be hidden. First John 3, 2, the same writer says this later in the New Testament. Beloved, we are God's children now. I'm sorry, it's not the same writer. I was thinking I was in John, but this is, this is the Apostle John. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been appeared. But we know that when it appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So your true reality in Christ will one day be fully revealed. There is immense amounts of hope there, right? 
One theologian says this, as the text in 1 John suggests, the believer's appearance in glory or in a state of glory will mean a final transformation into the image of Christ by means of resurrection. In Christ, God has restored the definitive and perfect image of God that was marred in the fall, and believers who are joined with him will share in that image. When Christ returns in the future, you will be fully sanctified, glorified, and free from the stain of sin. In the past, you have died, you have been raised. In the present, you are hidden with Jesus, and in the future, you will be fully glorified with him. So I read this story about um, an orphanage in one of the poorest countries of the world. And I want to tell you, it's, it's a little bit long, but I'm going to read it for us here. I think it's really helpful. In this orphanage, they took the hardest of the hard cases, children with special needs. And at one point, they had a, a young boy with a severe and rare brain disease. And this, this left this little boy with, with almost no function at all. He could barely even put together a sentence. And so the years went by, and he began uh, as a baby right there. And time went on, and he saw person after person after person get adopted, but he was left there. At age nine, he began to be despondent. He recognized that he wasn't like the other children, and he didn't have a whole lot of hope that he'd be adopted. Well, a couple from Texas, great state of Texas, who had adopted from this orphanage before said, we'll take him. We'll take him into our family. And so one day they came for this little boy to go home with this couple from Texas back to the Lone Star State. And he was so excited because when he got there, he saw one of his old orphanage roommates that the couple had adopted. And so immediately he had a friend. But what made him proud was when he got home, his parents couldn't really pronounce his name. He had a very difficult foreign name, so they said, we'll call you AJ for the rest of his time. From those initial months onward, he would say to everyone, my name is AJ. You call my name AJ to anyone that would listen. He had pride when he said, my name is AJ. He had a new identity. And despite all the malfunctions in his brain, he connected his redemption with his identity. Our redemption should be central to who we are. Like he would put AJ on the back of his jersey. We should put Jesus because that's, we are in him. It affects all of our life. Like this little boy, our redemption is what makes us new. This is the truth about you. This is the truth. And this is what the Apostle Paul here is saying. And remember, he's saying here that truth, it fuels action. The indicative fuels the imperative. And this is what the text is showing us. So point two is, is walking with Christ. What does it look like if you are with Christ? And what does it look like to walk with him? Verse one says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So Paul here, he begins this if-then statement like this. He says, if you have been redeemed, then walk in this way. I'm going to say it over and over again because you can't get this backwards. It's not Christianity if you get it backwards. If this is true, then walk in this way. It's truth-fueling action. So what is Paul calling the believer in Christ to do? Seek the things that are above. In other words, focus on the things that are in Christ. And the verb and focus here is seek in verse 1. 
Now, one theologian says this, Paul is not saying so much that believers should seek to possess the things above as that they are to seek to orient themselves totally towards these heavenly realities. So we're not looking to escape the world and just go be with Jesus. No, he's saying that the call here is to orient yourself to Jesus. Believers are to seek the things above by deliberately and daily committing ourselves to the values of the heavenly kingdom and living out those values. So it's orienting ourselves towards Jesus. We are calling to commit ourselves towards the kingdom in which we belong. So verse 1 and verse 2 are really um, commands that are very similar. So let's look at verse 2. It's very similar, but a little bit different. So verse 2 says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So the repetition here, he's really repeating the same thing. It really shows the importance for believers, right? If he's going to say the same thing in different language two times in a row, like a believer, we need to listen. He moves from this idea of seeking to set your mind. And when he says set your mind, he's not saying, well, just just think about something. He's not saying it's it's, it's all up here in your head. In In this context, set your mind is an orientation of the will. So it's the basic inner attitude of your life. So he's really reiterating verse 1, right? Orient your lives towards Christ. You know, this time of year, we're, uh, what, five days from the new year. Many people will think about New Year's resolutions, and I don't think it's a bad thing for me. It's always been a time for me to, like, kind of evaluate my life, kind of take stock of how this last year has been for me. Um, and the cycle of the year helps with that. Let me tell you a, c- a couple of uh, resolutions I've made in the past. In the last, like, uh, this has been a while now because some of these are before I got married, but say 12 years. I wanted to wear a belt. I didn't wear a belt when I was in college, so I wanted to wear a belt one year, okay? One, uh, at one season of my life, I was using table salt like crazy. So I said, no table salt in 2012 or when it, whenever it was. Another time I said, I want to smile more. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a smiley guy, right? So often when we think about this time, when we think about, oh, I'm going to take stock of my life and what needs to change, we think about these type of things. I'm going to wear a belt. I'm going to put no salt on my food. I'm going to smile more. But my um, call to you and to me, first, when we think about this, taking stock of our life, maybe we should look first at our spiritual life. Remember from the beginning We'll drift left to right, right? We're going to look over here and look over here when we should be looking at Jesus always. We have a focus towards him at all times. So how can you orient your life more towards Jesus? If you're in him, how can we orient our lives more towards Jesus? What habits or patterns in your life can help you grow? It's not enough to say, is this bad? So if it's not bad, then I'll do it. No, what's good, so I want to do that. That, that should be the question. We're not, we're at, at times we ask the wrong questions. Well, is that really bad? No, it's not bad. Is it helpful? No, it's not helpful either. So you shouldn't do it. It's, it's essentially what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12.1. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we're called to set aside everything that doesn't orient our lives towards Jesus. It's not enough that it's not bad. Is it good? Is it pointing us towards Jesus? So when you take stock of your life in the coming days, if this is something you're going to do, I would encourage you, at least nothing else, do it spiritually. 
Say, how was 2021 spiritually for me? What needs to go? What needs to stay? What needs to change? But remember, this is not to gain favor. Truth fuels action. That's what the text is telling us. So because you are in Christ, he is calling us to walk with him. The second verse of Christ alone, I want to close with this, is a very uh, beautiful verse. I think it sums up kind of who we are in Jesus. It says this, In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. So on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. We are one with him. Let us live into this truth this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we come before you now and just thank you for the work of your Son, that we are one with him, that we know we have died, that we have been raised with him. And Lord, we are now hidden in you. And Lord, but we have hope because we know we have a heavenly reality that is not visible on the outward, but God, one day it will be. And Father, we cling to that truth. We cling to the hope that is in your Son and his second coming. Father, we pray as we go out of this place, these truths about who we are would fuel us to live for you, to orient our lives towards your Son. Father, we need you this morning. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.